This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. response we've had yet. Let me just give y'all a round of applause. Woo! Man, that felt good. I like it. I like it. We're still a little, a little back heavy. We're going to work on this front row se- seating. We're going to get there one day. So one step at a time, right? Baby steps, baby steps. We're going to be okay. Uh, so my name is Corey, uh, one of the pastors. So, so glad that you are here with us. Uh, we are in week two of a, a series, a study on humility. And so, um, we, we just, we start, Stephanie and I read this book um, earlier in the year, um, it's called Humility, uh, Creatively Enough, by Andrew Murray, uh, and we have several copies out in the lobby, if you would like to take one home with you, they're free, uh, we, it's just been a life-changing book for us, uh, and so we, we've tried to give it away, Stephanie's leading a women's study on it um, on Thursday nights, um, and so we just, we thought, okay, let's Let's go through this. Let's talk about humility a bit. Uh, it's not talked about much, right? Like there's not many uh, sermon series titled humility. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of book, book titles of humility, but uh, it is of utmost importance. And so um, we just thought, yep, let's do that. Humility it is. So um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, near the back of the Bible, um, if you're not sure where it is, uh, the table of contents is in the front uh, and it, it lists the, the, the books of the Bible and the page numbers if you want to look there um, for a little, little guide on where to start. But Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back on a table there. Uh, you are more than welcome to always grab one. You're more than welcome to take it home with you if you don't own one. Um, here's the deal. We're all going to turn to something as our source of truth. Every one of us. Uh, something is going to guide us and tell us what is right, what is true. Um, m- more often than not, we, s- we tend to look to ourselves and what, what makes sense to us. Uh, we just don't have that high view of ourselves, um, and so we want to look here. Uh, we believe that God's word is absolutely 100% true from beginning to end uh, and does not change. And so this is where our source uh, as a church is going to come from uh, for what is true. And so Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you don't have um, a Bible with you, the verses will be on the screen as well. Uh, you can read along with us. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God was, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me go ahead and summarize this this sermon for you in case you need to take off early. Here's the big picture, is that humility is the only path to life. It is the only way to life. And in our own strength, we are 100% helpless. 
to live it out. We cannot do it on our own. But praise be to God that Jesus, the perfectly humble, came to bring and give us the humility that we need that we could be restored to a relationship with God and that we can love others as Christ has loved us. He is our only answer. And my prayer and hope today is that God in his grace and mercy will open our eyes to see more than ever not only our need for humility, but that only through Jesus can we have it. And that's it. So let's pray and ask that God will do that for us um, today. God, we need uh, your favor and your grace more than we even know to ask. We need your humility. We need uh, less of ourselves and more of you. God, more than we even can, can comprehend. And right now, God, there is an enemy that wants to distract us and wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, and we pray, God, you are greater. That's not a question. You are greater than, than the enemy and he who is in the world. And so we ask, Father, um, in your goodness and kindness, by the power of your spirit, will you come and, and rest on us and speak to us today that we would hear your voice and your voice alone. God, inspire our hearts by the humility of Jesus to, to humble ourselves and to pursue you with everything we have. And it is in that that we find your glory and our good. That's in Christ we pray. Amen. I know that I have talked about uh, St. Patrick before, um, but I love his story. Like the story of St. Patrick, uh, it's just, it, it, it blows me away. His, um, he, he was a human for sure, so he's not perfect. But his intentional choice to put on humility and to lay aside himself so that God may be, may be all in him and through him to the world uh, is second to none. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, did you know, and, and I've said this before too, so if you've heard this, you, you may know the answer. Um, but did you know that Patrick wasn't Irish? Like, St. Patrick was not Irish, even though that is most definitely what we associate him with, um, because he, he did. He was revolutionary to the nation of Ireland, but Patrick himself uh, was not Irish. He was English. And so, how then do we get St. Patrick and Ireland together? Well, at, at 16, Patrick was abducted by, by some Irishmen and taken back to Ireland as a 16-year-old to be forced into slave labor. He was forced into slave labor at the age of 16. Now, I realize most of us are over the age of 16, but I don't care how old you are, if you get abducted and taken against your will, overpowered, and forced into slavery and harsh treatment, that, that's not going to be very comforting, right? Like, that's going to be terrifying and scarring. Like, imagine the years of therapy to overcome that traumatic event. And so as a 16-year-old, he's abducted and taken to Ireland to serve as a slave in Ireland. But ironically enough, it is there in Ireland as a slave that God opened Patrick's eyes to see his need for a savior. And it was in human slavery that his spiritual chains were loose and he was set free from sin. It's, I know that we don't like discomfort. I'll be the first to say I would like to avoid it for the rest of my life. But it's oftentimes in our darkest moments that we're most clearly able to see the light of Jesus. Like it's, it just is. In our darkest moments, we're most clearly able to see the light of Jesus. And that is where Patrick sees Christ is in slavery. I mean, he served as a slave for six years. So from 16 to 22, he was a slave. And then one night he received a vision from the Lord telling him to run to the ocean that there would be a boat waiting for him. 
And so he takes off running towards the ocean. 200 miles later, he gets to the ocean, and sure enough, there's a boat setting sail back to England. And so Patrick gets on the boat, and he sails back home. Six years after slavery. And can you imagine the, the fanfare and the welcome, right? Like, can you imagine what it's like to return home after that for six years? The, the welcoming that he had from his family, the sense of, of belonging and safety and security, and yet Patrick was a different person. He, he had met the humble Jesus and was committed to humbling himself that God would be seen in him and through him to others. And so as a free man, by his own choosing, he got back on a boat and went back to Ireland to the very streets and places that held him as a slave, as a free man, so that he could tell them about the hope and life that comes in Jesus. Ireland is a different nation today because that man humbled himself that God would be all in him and through him to others. That is humility. That is humility. It's the intentional removing of self that God would be seen as great in us and through us to others. It's the intentional disappearing of self that God would be great. It's shining the spotlight on him. Imagine, imagine being in a play. Imagine we're going to put on a play, and, and you're, you're part of the cast, and you're, you're up here and you're doing the play, but all the lights are out. And so none of the audience can see the play. They can't, they can't see the beauty of the pageantry and the costumes and the acting and the singing. They can't see any of it. Somebody has to, has to leave the stage and go get behind the spotlight and shine the spotlight on the stage so that the play can be seen. But, but who wants to get behind? Who knows the person running the spotlight, Right? We see and we know the people on the stage. Nobody wants to go get behind the spotlight and shine the light on someone else. And yet humility willingly walks around and steps behind the spotlight and shines the light on another. Choosing for self to disappear so that another could be seen. Humility is less of me, more of you. And specifically, in, in the Bible, true humility, true humility moves self aside so that God can be seen above all. True humility dies to self so that the name of Jesus can be seen and her True humility does whatever is necessary that God would be glorified and magnified in the life of a person. Let me also say, humility is not thinking less of oneself. So humility is not like self-deprecation and putting yourself down like, oh man, I'm terrible, I'm awful. It really, all that is is, is pride in disguise because when, when all we're doing is self-deprecating, we're just thinking about ourselves, right? We're, we're just inwardly thinking about ourselves, And so it's, it's really just pride in a negative light, but it's still just selfish thinking. And so humility is not thinking less of oneself. It's not, it's not being a floor mat so that whoever can just walk all over us, right? Humility is thinking of oneself less often. It's thinking of the best of another. So if you're treating me wrongly, humility is not just to let you keep doing something wrong and be a floor mat and you get to walk all over me because I'm not, I'm not thinking of your best at that point. If you're doing something wrong, humility is willing to stand up and say, hey, no, that's not right because that's what's best for someone else. So humility is not this, oh man, I have to, I have to just like be, be pushed over and, and be, be a floor mat. That's, that's not loving. That's not best. 
Humility just thinks less of oneself. It, it looks at life and it filters things through the lens of how can this make God great? How will this decision make God look amazing? How will this posture make God look bigger? How, how will this serve others? How will this lift someone else above myself? So humility is just the intentional, active choosing of moving self to the side so that God can take center stage and be seen and great and that others can be lifted up above myself. That's what humility is. Man, humility is, is so important. It's, 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 it's absolutely essential. It, it, is, it, it is pivotal because it is the only path to God's glory and the good of others. Humility is the only, the only path that we can walk down that leads to God's glory and our good. That's it. Only through humility. So pride is the aim to make self most important. Right? Pride is when I'm thinking of myself first. I'm looking at decisions and I'm thinking, how is this going to affect me the most? I'm thinking first of myself. And so if I'm thinking of myself first, if I have the first and the ultimate seat, that means God doesn't have the first and ultimate seat. And so the only way to glorify God is for me to step to the side so that God can be in the center. The only way for me to glorify God is for me to step off the throne of most important so that God can sit on the throne of most important. It is impossible to glorify God if I'm thinking of myself first. I'm just glorifying myself. The only way to glorify God is through humility. That's it. When I was 15, I, mean, I, I thought that I had been a Christian for eight years. When I was seven, I, I walked up to the front of the church with my pastor, and I repeated this prayer after him, and I asked Jesus into my heart, and then I got baptized, and I thought that I was a Christian. But what I realized when I was 15 was that I didn't really so much care about God, I just wanted his stuff. I just wanted to go to heaven. I mean, who wants to go to hell, right? I, I, just, wanted, I, I just wanted to go to heaven and get his stuff. I didn't so much care about having God, I just, I just, he was just a means to my selfish end. And when I was 15, I clearly remember God speaking to me. I was at a camp, I was in the second row, second seat in, right where you're sitting, Brandy. That was the spot where I was in, and God said, Corey, you can either live for yourself or for me, but you cannot do both. There's only one ultimate throne, and only one gets to sit on it. And either I'm going to put myself on that, and if I do that, I am choosing that God is not ultimate. Or God gets to call the shots, and God is ultimate, and I'm giving my life to him. And sure, heaven may come with that, but he is the ultimate prize. The only way we can glorify God is if we choose to remove ourselves so that he can be ultimate. Humility is also for our good. Murray, he writes in his book, he said, pride may die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride may die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Where, where does he get that idea? Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, verses 23 to 24. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
So if anyone wants to follow Jesus, if anybody wants to be a part of his, of his crew, wants to be his disciple, what does it say you do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. For whoever would save his life, whoever wants to lift his life up, whoever wants to make his life greatest, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, whoever steps to the side, lays down himself so that Jesus is lifted up, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus is saying that if you want to be a part of his kingdom, if you want to know him and be in relationship to him, then you have to die to yourself. It is the only way. Is that self must move to the side. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Murray also writes in his book, he says, Absolute, unceasing, universal humility must be the root disposition of every prayer, every approach to God, and every dealing with man. Humility must be the root. We might as well attempt to see without eyes or live without breath as to think we can draw near to God and live in his love without an all-pervading humility and lowliness of heart. You, you want to move near to God? You want to have the fullness of joy in his presence? But, but you want to hold tightly to pride? You might as well try to see without eyes. You might as well try to live without breath. The only way, the only way, the only way for us to dwell in his presence, the fullness of joy, is in the root of humility. If we think we can hold tightly to ourselves and also hold tightly to God, we are kidding ourselves. It cannot happen. It is in complete contradiction to the very character of who God is. Not only will God choose not to bless that, he cannot bless that. He cannot bless our prayers of pride. It is in complete contradiction to who he is. The only way is through a deep, abiding humility. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those are ours to be had in humility. If we are putting on humility, those, that will follow. But if we're standing in pride, we will not taste the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit is humility. Is that making sense? We, we cannot have the blessings and favor of God while standing in pride. It's impossible. Murray, he writes, every defect and failure has its root in pride. Anyone ever felt broken? Or hurt, disappointed, sad, betrayed, confused, uncertain. Every single ounce of hurt you've encountered in this world, every longing and disappointment has its root in pride. Either of your own doing or pride brought upon you from another. Humility is a big deal. It is the only way to the glory of God and to our good. We wonder why there's so much brokenness and hurt, and it's because we are so selfish and prideful. It's a big deal, and here's the, here's the problem we have. 
none of us can remove pride on our own. None of us can just will our way to humility. If we're thinking, okay, humility is the answer, that's it. I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to muscle my way to humility. What we're doing is we're pursuing humility in a state of pride. What? We, we, cannot, we cannot put humility in ourselves on our own, right? We all know. We all know how great of intentions we might have. We, we come into church with great intentions, and so often, right, we're thinking of ourselves. We're thinking of our preferences. Does this meet what I want? Is this going to give me, is this going to fill me up? Is, it, is this going to play the song that I want to hear? Is this going to do what I want? And if I'm not liking it, then I'll just go somewhere else until there. I'm not liking it there, and then I'll just go somewhere else because we... We approach even worship, the sanctuary, in a posture of pride so often. How often do we, we want to do the right thing, but then we're so quickly thinking, how, how is this making me feel? How, how is this relationship going to benefit me? And if it's not benefiting me, well, should I just move on? What am I going to get out of this? And, and, and is this going to make me feel good? Is this going to make me sad? What is my benefit so often, right? Come on, I know I'm not alone here. I know that we're 100% right now. So often it is sneaky and subtle and deep. That the number one concern, if we strip everything away, it's a big old capital me. So often, right? We may want humility, but gosh, it Pride runs deep. And it's not because God is holding out. It's not because God is, is, is not offering us the answer. It's, it's because the poison of pride is powerful and it runs really, 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 really deep. Pride runs deep. And not only does pride run deep, but there is a thief, a deceiving a lying, conniving destroyer who is actively every moment of every day seeking to whisper the temptation of pride and self into our ears and to cover up death in the shape of a piece of fruit so that what we look like, man, it seems good and it seems wise in our own eyes and it's going to lead us to death. There's an active enemy seeking to, to infuse the poison of pride into our soul. This is how it was in the beginning. Murray says in the book, when the, the old serpent, he who had been cast out from heaven for his pride, whose whole nature as devil was pride, when he spoke his words of temptation into the ear of Eve, these words carried with them the very poison of hell. And when she listened and yielded her desire and her will to the prospect of being as God, because that's what pride is, it's seeking to be like God. When she gave in her will to being as God, knowing good and evil, the poison entered into her soul and blood and life, destroying forever that blessed humility and dependence on God, which would have been our everlasting happiness. And so, instead of this, her life and the life of the race, that's you and me, the life of the race that sprang from her became corrupted to its root with the most terrible of all sins, all curses, the poison of Satan's own pride. In the very beginning, the poison of hell, pride, 
seeped into the bloodstream of humanity and has infected every person since. And it runs deep. It runs deep. Now think about it. If anybody was going to get humility right, if any human was going to get it right, it's Adam and Eve. They had no traumatic childhood experience. They had no baggage of of broken relationships. They had no sinful past that they were trying to work through. They had no peer pressure. They had no 24-7 bombardment of, of media telling you and glorifying sin. They had the perfect setup and opportunity. They walked in the presence of God. There was no sin around them. And the temptation from the devil comes in and says, hey, You can call your own shots. And that desire within them to be their own God crept up. And they took their eyes off of God and they looked around them and they said, okay. If anybody's going to get it right, it's them. Man, i got so much baggage around me. I've got so much working against me. I've got so many pulls towards sin and towards pride. I don't have a chance. Like, I I can't even go the rest of the afternoon without thinking first about myself. And yet humility is the only path to life. It's the only way to God's glory and to the good of others. And in Removing pride from myself would be the equivalent of of being diagnosed with cancer and saying, I got this. I'll just take the cancer cells out of myself. It's cool. I don't need any extra help. I can do it on my own. We know how foolish that is. We need an outside remedy. We need help that can come in and replace the poison of pride with the life of humility. Praise be to God that while we were still sinners, deep in our pride, Christ came to die for us and to breathe humility back into our souls so that we can have life. Praise be to God that there is a powerful working of Satan against us, but there is a more powerful Savior who crushes the enemy. Praise be to God that as deep as pride runs, the humility of Jesus can run deeper and can push out the pride in our souls. Praise be to God that he stands ready to fill every humbled soul that cries out to him without reservation. Jesus is our answer. Jesus, the humble, came to bring humility back to us so that pride can be removed and so that we can have life with God and with one another. So this desire for humility is incredibly possible and available for us today. It's here now and it's ready. Our one need, our one need is to study and know and trust the life that has been revealed in Christ as the life that is now ours and waits for our consent to gain possession and mastery of our whole being. Listen, God is not holding back. He's just waiting for us to surrender ourselves. And the answer is Jesus. Humility was the defining characteristic of Jesus. That's what we see in Philippians chapter 2. 
It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So he's describing humility, the, the emptying of self that another would be made great. He says, have this mind among you. Have this purpose, this deep, this, this, this aim, this, this motive for life. Have this among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and then it describes the humility of Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We see that before Jesus ever became man, humility was, was who he was. To, to understand this verse, we have to understand that, that Jesus is God. There's one God, only one God of the Bible. But that God exists as three unique persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. All are unique, but all are one God, essentially 100% God. And so you, you, you can't take and say, oh, Jesus was not fully God. Jesus was fully God. But he was also unique and had his own unique will. And it says that, that Jesus, even though he was God, even though he was in the form of God, he considered others more significant than himself. He considered the will of the Father as more significant than his own. And so Jesus, God himself, willingly subjected his will to the will of the Father. Not because his will was less important, but because he chose to put on humility and to humble his will to the will of the Father. It was rightfully his it was his will, it was his right to have, and he let go of it. Have you ever let go of something that was yours? You ever given up? It's, like, it's, it's not just like, oh, I'm not kind of, like it was rightfully yours, but you gave it up. You let go of it so that someone else could have their way. Or like how often, like this is, this, it's mine, it's my way. Like this is, this, is, this is not wrong, this is right. How often do we willingly let go of something that's right so that someone else can have theirs? I mean, I struggle to do that just in, with people I love. And yet Jesus let go of his will, his rightful place. He willingly let go of it in order that the Father's will could be lifted up. Countless times in the New Testament, Jesus said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. He said, I can say nothing of my own, but I only say what my Father tells me. I mean, he, he, have you ever thought about Jesus had his own will? Like he had his own desires. And yet he's fully God, but he has his own desires. You know what one of his, his desires was? Was to not go to the cross. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He's in the garden, he's praying. If, Father, if there's any way for this to pass, if there's any way for me to not go this route, and yet what is the next phrase Jesus says? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross. The will of Jesus was not to suffer, but the will of the Father was that through his suffering, you and I wouldn't have to. And so he let go of his will in order to lift up the Father's will, and we are the recipients of that humility. That Jesus went to the cross in our place. Fully equal, fully God, and he willingly gave up his will in order to lift up the Father's, demonstrating firsthand the humility that we're called to, to give up our will to the will of God. It says in verse 7, though, that he didn't just humble himself to God the Father, but he emptied himself. He let go of what was his by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. If I'm going to humble myself, I feel like I could humble myself pretty more easily than not. I don't want to overspeak. More easily than not to, to God. God's perfect. Or like God has never wronged me. God has never been selfish of himself. So it's like, okay, Jesus, cool. You, you gave up your will to the perfect will of God the Father. Like, is that really so tough? Um, well, yes, I think it is. But then he also humbles himself not only to God the Father, but to us. He, he comes as the form of a man and takes the position of a servant of men, of women. That he, he willingly lifts up the tangible good of us over himself. In John chapter oh, 13, blanking there for a second. In John chapter 13, we see Jesus. He's at, he's at a dinner with his friends. And, and what's typical, what's traditional in that culture? So they, they would walk to and from. They didn't have cars, right? So they're walking to and from places. They also didn't have sidewalks and streets and asphalt and whatnot. They're walking on dirt paths through fields behind donkeys and cows and camels and whatever else they leave behind, right? So they're walking through just mess. And, and they're, they're sporting not the, not the clothes issues. They most likely got on jandals, right? They've got the open-toe sandal going on. And so they're walking through. It's hot. It's sweaty. There's dirt everywhere. Like, can you imagine how nasty those feet are? Just stri- Feet are gross to begin with, people. Like, they're, they're in shoes for a reason, okay? So feet are just kind of gross. These are just straight nasty, just terrible. So what typically happened when you went over to someone's house for a meal is they would have a servant, the, the lowest position on the social pole. And that servant would take a bowl and would hand wash those nasty, dirty feet. Hand wash it. Well, for whatever reason, at this dinner, there wasn't a servant. And so they're sitting at dinner with these just, Oh, gross feet. And so Jesus stands up and he grabs the bowl and he bends down and he starts washing their feet. Jesus, the the leader, the the king, the, the Messiah, they knew he was the Messiah and he humbles himself and he grabs their nasty feet in his hand and he lovingly washes the dirt off. You ever, you ever given a kid a bath? I don't know if you have, like if you have younger siblings or babysat, it's impossible to give a kid a bath and stay dry. It just, it, it, does, it does not happen. When you're, when you're rinsing and you're washing, like it's, it's going to get on you. So that means when Jesus is washing their feet, their nasty, dirty feet, just, just dripping all over him, right? Their mess is all over him. Their filth he's taken on himself. Because humility doesn't just look for the easy opportunities, like, hey, I can, I can serve you with no harm to me. Humility takes the lowest seat regardless of the situation and steps into the mess of people's lives in order to lift them up over ourselves. And that is what Jesus has done for us. He took the posture of servant because he's not going to call us to do something that he doesn't himself first do for us. That's a different kind of God. And Jesus serves and he washes the feet. He humbles himself before God the Father and then he humbles himself before sinful people like us. But not just to wash the dirt off their feet, but to wash the sins out of our lives. 
See, the humility of Jesus humbles himself before the Father, humbles himself before man, and humbles himself to the point of death on a cross so that we can be redeemed and brought back into a relationship with God. Verse 8, being found in form, in, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Humility is death to self. We put on humility when we choose in every way to remove selfishness. But the only way that can happen is if someone else comes in, if someone perfectly humble comes in to do in our place what we could not do, and that was Jesus. And he suffered and died so that my pride can be nailed to the cross, so that supernaturally he can put his humility in me and move my pride out so that I can be restored to a relationship with God. So that I can be given humility the way of life. In John 10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Y'all, we have to know today that there is an enemy that wants nothing more than to destroy your life. And the way he's going to do that is by deceitfully whispering the ways of pride. To choose yourself. It will lead to destruction. But Jesus came that we would have life. And have it abundantly. And the way we have life is by him humbling himself to the point of death on a cross. That our sins could be forgiven. And that we could be made right with God. The death of Christ is the open door to life. His death is my salvation. His humility is my salvation. If he doesn't humble himself, I don't have a chance. I can't remove pride on my own. Neither can you. It runs deep. But Jesus humbled himself. And listen, his death was not just I think so often we take it way too lightly. He hung on a cross because I chose pride. What an insult to the cross of Christ every time I pick pride back up. What an insult to the humility of Jesus every time I hold tightly to myself because that is the very reason he was nailed to a cross was so that my selfishness could be removed. May we not insult the death of our Savior by holding tightly to self. May we not be those people. Verse 9 says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No doubt from the outside looking in, looking at humility on the cross, it doesn't look like a very exalted position. Hung next to criminals, buried in a tomb that he couldn't afford himself, someone had to give to him. It didn't look very exalted. And yet it was through humility that God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because the truly great in the kingdom of God are the ones who humble themselves. I think a lot of times we, we look at the posture of humility and we, we're afraid. What, what's it going to mean if I humble myself? What's it going to mean if I let someone else take this spot? What's it going to mean if I step out of the spotlight and let someone else have center stage? What's it going to mean if I confess my sins before someone? This could go really, really bad for me. 
And and the, the invitation of the Bible is don't trust your way. But trust the promise of Scripture that God gives grace to the humble. That he exalts and lifts up the humble. Don't live for today. Don't live for tomorrow. Live for the moment when we stand before our God and he tells us, well done. Live for eternity where God exalts the humble. Humility here is going to look scary. Trust our God. He's good for it. And he promises that he exalts the humble. In any and every way that you're holding on to pride, I urge you, let go of it. And let God exalt you. In his way, in his time, how he chooses, it's good. Hebrews 12 It says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It says, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If humility was the joy of Jesus, it can be our joy too. If Jesus found humility worthy enough that it was his joy, I think it's good enough for us too. Humility was his joy. It will be our joy as well when we humble ourselves. And we're hopeless for moving on our own. But praise God that Jesus the humble came. And he He let go of what was his in order to give to us what was not ours. He lifted us up above himself to the glory of God and to our good. My prayer has been that that we would see clearly our need for humility and that Jesus is fully able and ready to give it. Jesus the humble now is ready to give us humility. Pride and self have the all of man till man has his all from Christ. Pride and self will have its rule in us until we let Christ rule in its place. The invitation is given by Jesus. The invitation is is available to to confess and repent from our sins, to to admit and lay down our selfish ways. Healing follows confession. Every time in the scripture, healing follows confession. Life follows repentance. We will not have life apart from repentance. And Jesus invites us to surrender our lives to him and to trust him. And then he tells us to put on humility. If you've trusted Christ, perfect humility is yours to be had. If you're a Christian, you can live in perfect humility from this moment through the rest of your life. Now let me go ahead and say, we're going to drop the ball there. But it's not because Christ hasn't given us what we need. It's because we've chosen to take hold of pride again. 
but we do have what we need to live in humility because Christ lives in us. Be perfectly humble. And so right here, right now, humility is ours to be had. Jesus invites and he says, will you give up yourself that he may fill you, that he may be all in you and through you to others. And I believe that's the invitation he wants to give us today. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.